Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. If you'd like to find out more, head online to our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. I'm one of those uh, people that whenever I buy something, uh, I spend far too long researching every single aspect of that product to make sure it's exactly what I want it to be. So some of you will be just like me, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Before you buy even the most inconsequential thing, you will look at every single YouTube video, you'll read every single review, you'll go through every single page on the manufacturer's website. And by the time that we, people like me, but by the time we buy something, We know where every stitch is, what every button does, how every screw holds the thing together. And I'll always remember one of the times that I I did this sort of research. I was looking to buy a a kind of weekender bag. Uh, And one video review that I watched uh, had a guy filling this bag filled with bits and pieces, taking it up a mountain and throwing it off a cliff to show that everything inside it would be completely fine uh, when he did it. And it was. And as a result, you better believe that I bought that bag. You know, I never planned to throw it down a mountain, but I like to know that I can, should, should the need arise. And you know, as I've been looking at this passage, Jesus praying in Gethsemane over the last week, I've found myself uh, reflecting on a question. And it's this, how well would I cope if I was thrown down a mountain. Because in Matthew 26, we come across Jesus on what was very possibly the second worst day of his life, on the eve of the worst day of his life. And if you've got your Bibles with you or you can get them open on your phone, verse 38 translates it, I think, most appropriately. It says this, Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He's facing his his biggest challenge, his deepest suffering. But as we continue to read, we see that he comes through this trial. And so as we look at Jesus in this passage, I want to ask the question, how can you and I ensure that we make it through the worst days of our lives? How can we ensure that we hold on to the thread of faith when that's all we have to hold on to? When the day seems dark, how can we hold on for the light? Well, Jesus turns in this passage, as he does so often throughout the gospel, he turns to prayer. But he turns to prayer in a particular way. He makes a number of important choices. And this morning, I want to suggest that you and I can make these choices as well, both in our darkest days when it feels like we've been thrown off the side of a mountain, and also in perhaps the brighter days in which we prepare for the days ahead. And the choices he makes are these. He chooses relationships. He chooses honesty, and he chooses trust. 
And I want to look at those together. So let's dive in and let's start with Jesus's choice of relationship. Because we see in Jesus' prayer in, in verse 39 that he starts before, by coming before God as a child coming to his parents. He starts his prayer, doesn't he? My Father. And maybe it seems obvious to some of us who have been around Christianity for a little bit longer than perhaps some of us, but I think it's easy for us to forget this important point. So allow me to say it again. When we come to God in prayer, we don't come before some distant, disinterested, disengaged deity who can barely stand us and definitely doesn't want to hear anything from us. And that's not the God to whom we pray. We pray to a God who loves us, who invites us to call him Father Because that relationship at its very best is the relationship that he's given to us to demonstrate what his love for us looks like. I remember a time uh, when I was uh, embarrassingly old uh, and I got trapped at the top of a church tower for a reason that's equally embarrassing uh, and in hindsight doesn't make that much sense. And it's a story that I don't come out of looking particularly good, and I promise I will tell it at some point, uh, but I won't this morning. But the important thing to know is that I was trapped at the top of a, of a tower. Uh, and when that happened, my first instinct, the first thing that I, I turned to do in this kind of fear-filled, primal moment uh, was to call my dad and ask for him to rescue me. Because I knew that my dad cared for me. You know, I knew that I could rely on him to come to my rescue, that I didn't need to bargain with him to get him to come to my aid. I knew that he would support me. I knew that his support was guaranteed because he's my dad and he loves me. You know, the reason that God wants us to know him as father Because it's that sort of confidence, that sort of assurance of love and care and support that we can have with God. What a difference it might make to you and to me if we saw God primarily in this way. As a father, not just as a title, but a father in terms of relationship, in terms of love if we would view the creator of the cosmos as the creator who loves us unconditionally and immeasurably and unreservedly, we can call him father because he is the father to whom all other good fathers point at their best. And this is the God. This is the God as father to whom Jesus prays and to whom we can pray as well. And I know that for some of us, uh, this will be difficult to come to God, to think of God as Father for all sorts of reasons. Uh, It may well be painful and traumatic, and I, I don't want to dismiss or diminish that. And yet, the Bible calls God our good, good 
father. He's the father who never betrays us, never gives up on us, never hurts us, never abandons us, never forgets us, and never fails us. And if this isn't how you view God for whatever reason, can I suggest that you invest some of yourself into learning how to see God in this way, in the way in which he invites us to know him. That might look like talking to a friend, to a pastor, to a small group leader, to a counselor. It could be any number of things. It could be dealing with the issue intentionally in prayer or reading some resources that will be helpful. Whatever it is, can I call you to, can I call each of us to knowing God as dad, as father, as the one who loves us? Because Jesus in prayer chooses relationship with God. But he also chooses relationship with his friends. Notice in verses 37 and 38 how Jesus, when he's going to do this terrible spiritual battle, as it were, in prayer, he takes his closest friends with him. Even the Lord of life and the saviour of the world needed emotional support from his closest friends in his darkest hour. He needed people to stand with him, to join with him in prayer, to carry him when he felt burdened and bruised. And if it's okay for Jesus, it's okay for you, it's okay for me. Life, and particularly life as a Christian, uh, is a team sport. It's a team sport. It's not something that we're meant to do alone. We need one another. I need you if I'm going to get through this. You need me. You need your brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why we persist as the church. We persist in meeting and connecting however we can, even in lockdown. That's why we're talking more and more, and we're going to be talking more and more in the weeks to come about the importance of small groups. And can I add my encouragement to you to, to find a small group? You can email me, john.freeman at greyfriars.org.uk. I would love to help you connect to a group of Christians who can stand with you in the bright days and the dark days. But please, please, don't do this alone. Join a small group, send a text to your Christian brothers and sisters, organize a call, ask them to watch with you. Jesus chooses relationship. He also chooses honesty. John Mark Comer, who's an author and pastor whose work I really appreciate, uh, has said this about prayer. He says, prayer is not a place to be good. It's a place to be honest. Uh, When I was a teenager, uh, the youth worker at my church used to call me uh, the caveat king. Uh, And it was a fair name because I was always so worried about saying exactly the right thing, about people knowing exactly what I meant and knowing that my intentions were as good as they possibly could be. 
that I'd spend my whole time never getting to the point. Some of you may be listening to this sermon thinking this is a very familiar experience, but I'd spend my whole time never getting to the point. I'd dance around and I'd add qualifications and clarifications. Uh, And as you can tell, I'm still not great at that. Uh, And the result of that is that I sometimes never get to the point or I never make it clear. I know my wife is watching at home right now laughing. Uh, I am the caveat king. The risk is that I may not be clear when I do this. But does it surprise you that when we see Jesus praying, we don't see any of this filtering? We don't see any of this worrying about just saying it exactly right and coming across in the best way possible. No, he is unashamedly and brutally, totally honest with God about what he really wants. Look at his prayer in verse 39. It says, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Jesus doesn't dance around what it is that he desires. He just brings it honestly to God. In in essence, he says, God, if there's a way out, I want it. In fact, a number of commentators uh, who write about this prayer say that the way that Jesus was praying, we could describe it as begging. He was begging for God to let him achieve our salvation in some other way. And I wonder, what does that picture of a brutally honest Jesus do in your heart? Because I found it shocking. I found it a bit uncomfortable if I'm honest that Jesus would be so raw. He'd be so transparent. He'd be so vulnerable with God that he would be so human. But once again, and this is a good principle for the Christian life, if if Jesus does it, you and I can do it as well. If he prays like this, then we can pray to God with such honesty as well. So when you pray, do you pray like this? Or do you filter yourself? Do you say what you think you should say? Do you try and be someone that you're not to impress God? Well, Jesus' choice of honesty shows us that we don't need to. You can be fully and truly yourself. It can look ugly and uncomfortable. But Jesus shows us that God doesn't want a tidied up version of you. He wants you as you are, warts and all. So when you pray, tell God what it is you're really feeling. Don't pretend. Ask what you really want. Tell him what you really think. God can handle it. More than that, God wants to handle it. But Jesus doesn't just choose honesty because he also chooses trust. And I wonder, did you, did you notice that movement that Jesus made in his prayer from where he begins to where he ends up? Because he starts overwhelmed with sorrow, with the prayer, if it is possible, let this cup pass over me. But his controlling desire, that the fundamental foundation of what he says is, but not my will, but as you will. 
That's where he starts. But by the end, his prayer has shifted. He says, if it is not possible, your will be done. And he leaves this place of prayer with conviction and certainty. Verse 46, he says, rise, let us go. He comes in overwhelmed with sorrow. He leaves with confidence. It seems that he came to this place of prayer to ask God to provide another way. And he got an answer. And the answer was no. Because when Jesus comes to pray the second time, we see his prayer, and then the third time, he's still honest about what he wants. He still wants another way, but he is willing to submit to God's will over his own desires. He trusts that God's plan is the right plan, that God is going to do what is best. And this is, I think, amazing faith. To be facing your worst day on your second worst day and be able to hear no from God and to still trust him, to trust that he's good, to trust that his plans are right and best. And I want to suggest that the only way that Jesus could have such trust is because he knew God as his father. He knew God as someone who truly and deeply loved him. He knew what God was like, what he had done in the past, and so what he could be trusted to do in the future. He knew that God was for him. And you know, we can know God like this as well. Jesus makes it available to everyone. You know, we've spoken about knowing God as Father, but there's a wider piece as well about knowing God for who he is, what he's like, what he's done in the past and can be trusted to do again in the future. And that's what this book is all about. That's why we read it. That's why we care about it. That's why we take time to dig into it, to meditate on it, to discuss it, because it shows us what God is like, who he is and what he can be trusted to do. It gives us fuel to trust, just like it gave Jesus fuel to trust. Jesus, on his darkest days, chose relationship, chose honesty, and chose trust in prayer. And do you know what? I know that there are people in our church who are facing their darkest days. I know because I've heard from some of you. I know just because of probabilities and what the world is like at the moment. People who are going through the overwhelming sorrow of ill health, bereavement, uncertainty, loss, or heartbreak. You might feel like you've been thrown down the mountain. That life has left you battered and bruised and scraped and you're wondering how can I possibly come through this well I hope Jesus's prayer is a roadmap for you that you might be able to intentionally choose relationship and honesty and trust but to be honest I think the passage tells us something far more important that I want you to hear this morning if you're facing your darkest day if you're in the middle of the worst days of your life 
as you find yourself in, in the middle of something of your own Gethsemane, know that you'll find Jesus there as well. Jesus can be found in the darkest places and on the worst days because he's been there himself. And he'll be with you. He'll be with you in your dark night. He doesn't need you to show some big sign of faith. He doesn't need you to do some big show of strength. He's there. He's with you. He wants to walk with you. Reach out to him. Ask him to stand with you, to watch and to pray. But for some of us, I hope many of us, we won't be in that place uh, at the moment. And honestly, that, that's me. Uh, I don't think I'm in the darkest days. I don't think I've seen the worst day of my life yet. And I'm preaching to myself in this because I want to be ready for that day when it comes. Because it will come. We know that, don't we? That's the reality of the world that we're in. I want to be ready. And you see, Jesus invited his friends to be with him because he wanted their support, but because he also wanted them to learn and to prepare for their own worst day so they were ready. Verse 41, he tells them to watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. You know, the risk is that these choices in prayer choice to pursue relationship with God and others, to, to come to God in honesty and to trust him. Those choices might be too late when we're falling down the mountain. But we can begin now to make those choices second nature, to make them well-worn paths in our soul if we can make them before we get to those dark days. You and I should recognize that one day we will get there. And we can prepare for those public trials like Jesus did in our private battles. We can build those muscles of prayer and faith, of community and trust, of honesty. We can do and we have to. We have to be ready. And so I'd like to finish now by praying. Praying for those of us who are in the middle of a trial, who find ourselves in Gethsemane. And praying for all of us who need to learn how to be ready when we get there. So I'm going to pray. And if you find yourself in either of those groups, can I invite you, just wherever you are, to join in praying with me, to expect God to meet with you by his Spirit. And we'll see what it is he wants to do amongst us. So let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you that as we face near at hand or far in the future, as we face the darkest days, the worst days of our life, and that we know we don't head there alone because you have gone before us. And the Bible says that you are near to the brokenhearted. God, I thank you that we're not alone. 
And Lord Jesus, I, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who find themselves there now. God, for whom tuning in to church this morning was the most that they could do, who don't know how to make it through to tomorrow, who are quite simply overwhelmed with sorrow. Lord Jesus, comfort them now by your spirit. God, would you be near to the brokenhearted? Would they know your presence? And as they whisper, whimper a word of be with me, God, would you answer their prayer? Be with them. God, for those of us who know people in that place, would you help us to be those who watch and pray, who are close by in love and support, who are faithful in interceding? God, would no person face that day with their friends asleep in this church, but would we be close in love? I just wonder if some people, as I pray, you know that that's you, that there's people who God's called you to stand with. And I just want to pray now for God's love and God's strength to equip you in that place. And God, for all of us, teach us to pray. Teach us to know you as Father. Teach us to be honest and not false. Teach us to trust you. God, come and work within us now by your Spirit. And make us more like Jesus. And let's just take a moment to pause. Come, Holy Spirit, be with each person listening now who longs to meet with you.